0: salutations all you bards clerics monks wizards and nerds welcome to token minority report on unsafe space i am your minority beverly today is friday april 29th 2022 first things first my producer slash intern who's totally not carter is out sick today and bedridden and being a little baby so if things go awry i will still be blaming him um but hopefully he feels better soon and stops being a little wuss housekeeping book club this sunday folks may 1st at 12 p.m et it's still gulag archipelago by alexander solzhenitsyn hosted by the wonderful thomas st thomas um still the abridged version as well so if you are a speed reader or can listen to the audiobook at like 5x speed then you probably will still have time to read it uh to get a link to be on the video in the discussion just email me speak at or beverly at unsafespace.com and i will add you to the list and email the link tonight. So today we're going to talk RPG, D&D, OSR, and other acronyms, which is why I'm also wearing this uh, D&D dress today. It kind of matches my skin because it's yellow. Um, I got, oh, I guess I'm going to show it here. It's hard to see. I've got uh, cartoony Beholder, Mind Flayer, uh, Mimic, Slime, Dragon somewhere. Yeah, Dragon. Uh, I got this at Gen Con in Indianapolis a few years back, which I also uh, have a problem with getting too many dice when I'm there too, because I collect them all. But let's introduce today's guest, the RPG Pundit. He's a game designer and commentator on tabletop RPGs. He has produced and consulted on more than 100 RPG products and, as a consultant, helped design the current edition of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. He is a hard advocate for free speech and a prominent critic of wokeism in the RPG hobby. Most of his best-selling game products are part of the old-school Renaissance design movement, creating new and interesting variants of the original D&D rules. So with that, welcome to the show, RPG Pundit
1: thank you glad to be here
0: it's nice to have you um i i've seen a variety of your videos and including seeing uh at least at least one cat i know you have the cat meatball right
1: yeah Um, i used to have two one of them passed away so
0: yeah i heard my boyfriend watches you a lot too so he he told me about it um but yeah i've got two cats as well so i i feel the animal life um But uh, so to start things off before we really get into it, one thing I like to ask all the guests, since the show is Token Minority Report, um, I like to ask, in what way are you a minority? And it doesn't have to be anything physical. It can literally be like you, like pineapple pizza, because I do.
1: Um. <laughs> in what way am I a minority? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm a minority of one. Right? I think that the... The, you know, Ayn Rand, I think, said the smallest minority is the individual. Yes, you know? and, uh, that's true. That's that's uh, that's the only minority that I think actually should have protection, you know, is the mm. the right of the individual.
0: Yeah. OK, what a great answer. Straight off, <laughs> got Rand references and everything. OK, this is going to be good. Um, Well, okay, so the first game that I like to do, since I don't really know too much about you, I like to, I'm terrible at guessing these, but I want to do the two truths and a lie. Uh, I think I got, the only time that I've gotten right was last week, so I was really surprised because I'm terrible at it. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and list off, we've got two truths, one lie, I have to try and guess the lie, and if I fail, you get points. If I guess correctly, you still get points because I'm excited about it. And if you get enough points this episode, (laughs) then you win the game.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, uh, I hope that my, well, I don't think a lot of my audience is here uh, by the looks of it because uh, it's too early in the day. I think is 2 p.m. Eastern, right? That's a that's a strange hour to be doing a show like this because everybody's still at work.
0: You know, but, that's uh, how I feel too. And I really want to move this to the evening. And uh, But I've the, again, Carter's so I need to talk to him. I keep trying to push for it. I'm hoping eventually
1: I'll be able to move this to yeah, an evening you get a lot time. More views, a, lot more, well, a lot more views in the live stream itself. Thank but, you. Yeah. I'm
0: glad that we have this on recording now too to say like, no. "Hey, <laughs> I want. I don't want to do this time slot."
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe if it was on a on the literal weekend, that might be.
0: If you you think people but, would but watch like on on a Saturday?
1: evenings are probably the best. I don't know. Okay. okay. My, I'm on a show called Inappropriate Characters, and it, uh, we we do it on sunday nights and that's that that works pretty well too though oh yeah.
0: really okay good I to guess know. people
1: are winding down for the the end of the and weekend but,
0: yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway so you wanted me to give Tutu two a lie if there are any of my fans on the chat i hope you don't give it away because you might know this um which of them is is uh which of them are true anyways um so here we go uh number one you know i i mentioned already in the yeah, in, in my biography, it's pretty well known that I helped create the current edition of Dungeons and Dragons, but less people know that I also mm-hmm. helped to create the current edition of the Doctor Who RPG. Great. Oh, current edition. Number two, uh, I have lived on four different continents. And number three, I actually wrote the first RPG to feature a transgendered. Character on the cover.
2: Character on the
0: cover. Okay. Okay. So we've got one. Create. Cre- you've cre- helped create the current edition of the Doctor Who RPG. Number two. You've lived on four different continents. And number three. You were the first to make an RPG to feature a transgender character on the cover. Okay. Uh, okay. Hmm. Man, all of these seem very plausible. Cause I, I, th- I, I, oh yeah, all right. I know you've. Well, I don't know if you've stated where you you what country you live in now. I know you don't live in like America anymore, but I won't say if, if it is private.
1: No, no, people um, know that. I live, I live in South America right now.
0: Okay, okay, um, yeah, okay. so, Ah, all right. Well, all right, people. In chat. Someone says one is the lie. Hmm. Okay, let me think. Her Doctor Who edition. Are you a Doctor Who fan? This is tough. Uh, if you're into fantasy and stuff, Doctor Who's more sci-fi. Uh Indigo Dragon says three is a truth. One, let's see, you lived in four different continents if you've traveled around. Yeah, you know what? I think I'm gonna go with. Number one is the... L- oh, wait. No, wait. <laughs> Yeager says one and three are two, so that means two is the lie. Uh, I'm easily swayed by people, so what do I think? Um, lived on four different continents. Transgender character. Uh, you know what? I'm still going to say number one. Number one is the lie. Is that...
1: <laughs> no, I'm afraid it isn't. But- <laughs> uh, I was... Um- I worked as a as a play tester on the Doctor Who RPG oh, and cool. the um, several of the rules there, including the most basic mechanic um, in the final version of how it came out uh, is thanks to me. But uh, no, the lie is number two. I've, I've only lived on three different. Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> like you probably exaggerated, and it's probably only two or three. But then yeah. and again, I always I, I second guess myself and do the wrong one. So, okay. Well, can we dive a little bit more into the how did you get involved in the Doctor Who thing? How did you participate? Well, was, in that? that
1: was um, quite early on. Like we're talking about this was the Doctor Who. Produced by uh, Cubicle Seven. Um, that was uh, it, it. It first came out when it was still David Tennant who was playing the Doctor. That so gives you an idea of what, what year it was, right? Yeah. Um, so Remember it 10. was. Uh, it, I uh, they had made a call or had proposed play testers and stuff like that. And um, at that time I was already well known as a blogger, but I hadn't really written a lot of product myself. And so I, I volunteered for that. And um, there was this, you know, several weeks, couple of months of play testing behind the scenes that was going on as the game was being created. And originally the the creator of the game, uh, whose name escapes me right now, because my memory is terrible. (laughs) He uh, he wanted to use a system where you'd only roll a single six-sided die to determine the results. He wanted a game that was going to be very narrative-based and like what what, what in the hobby we call story gaming.
0: Okay, and yeah.
1: I wanted to make sure that wasn't what happened with Doctor Who, right? <laughs> so uh, uh. so I, I made it convincing on this like kind of argument that, you know, people actually like dice to at the very least let people roll two dice instead of one. So that's how the 2d6 mechanic happened. And then, um, one of the things that was, was remembered after the doctor who RPG came out is like what, what a lot of people said was like the most innovative thing about the game is the order of action. Because if you, I mean, you, you've played, um, you've played Dungeons and Dragons, right? So you understand initiative, right? So in in D&D, you roll for initiative and you go in the order that you rolled. Um, In Doctor Who, there's a precedence of action where if what you're going to do is talk, you do that first before anybody else gets to do anything, right? And then Uh. if all you're doing is running, you get to do that second, right? It all kind of fits the... Um, the genre of Doctor Who, right? Because you always yeah. see that where you know, some aliens are about out. to shoot him and then the doctor starts talking, right? Yeah. Um, so that that was, and, and then after that you can do special actions and only the last thing that happens is is attacks, right? And people thought, oh, this is like super innovative and brilliant and whatever. Well, first of all, I came up with that. But second, I came up with that being inspired by the initiative order in the old Red box of Dungeons and Dragons, where it used to be that uh, movement actions happened. All you regulate all the movement actions before you did um, attacks, and then before you did magic. Right. So, okay. so all the, that idea of prioritizing different types of actions in, in the initiative order uh, is something that I actually uh, borrowed from classic Dungeons and Dragons and just reapplied it in a way that fit the Doctor Who RPG.
0: That's awesome. So you do you recommend the Doctor Who RPG? Then it turned out to be more Well, the Doctor Who
1: RPG did turn out to be a pretty good game, yeah. It, it's been very popular. It's had multiple editions. Of course, I don't recommend current Doctor Who to anyone, sadly. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, have, I stopped in, watching like mid-11th Doctor, I
1: think. In, in, in my mind, the series ended with Capaldi, and that's it. Yeah, like oh, okay, nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. That, right? Because the, the last... Yeah what What happened after is this is this current run of these last three years has been just an absolute travesty.
0: Mm. That's what I've heard. Yeah, I definitely had no interest in like continuing on with it. And I mean, even after David Tennant left, I was like, I like Matt Smith, but Tennant was just the best.
1: <laughs> to yeah, me. we'll have to uh, we'll have to see now that it's uh, you know, being retaken by Russell T. Davies if he can actually
0: oh, is it? I haven't kept it. up with it at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're next year. The BBC is licensing Doctor Who out to uh, to Russell T Davies, who has you know Bad Wolf Productions. It's called right. Yeah. And Bad Wolf Productions has been bought out by Sony, so technically Sony is oh. going to be creating the next series of Doctor Who. And there's a lot of rumor that they're basically going to just like retcon the last three years you know because really? it's really so disastrous i guess the, it is the the, the bottoming out of, of viewer figures for doctor who has been appalling
0: well i i mean i'm not surprised but i wonder how they're going to do that i guess i mean i guess it's time stuff so <laughs> they can kind of do anything but
1: well they can do it like like you remember the tv movie right that happened like in between oh, the yeah. classic the, series the, and the was new it one the war and doctor the, Yeah. Well, no, the one with the, with the eighth doctor with the, I forget the the actor's name now, but the the one that Fox studios produced. Right. And it was pretty awful, but uh, you know, like they, they kind of when Russell T Davies took over Dr. Who the first time started the new series, um, he just slowly started adding back bits from the previous series, but he never went explicitly saying this happened and this didn't. And so eventually the eighth doctor was part of Canon but the part in the movie that most people hated where he said that he was half human was just forgotten. Like that never happened. Uh So (laughs) so that's probably what they're going to do here. You know, like maybe they'll mention that the doctor was, you know, this current one, but, uh, but they're not, they're going to get rid of this whole idea that they, you know, the first, the real first doctor was a black woman and stuff like that, you know?
0: Uh, mm (laughs) Well, I, I hope that they can like, I don't know, I guess it's like oh retconning is like an easy way out though but sometimes it's like well if it was really bad then you know retcon
1: well, the best retcon it is retconning is just to memory hole something right? yeah
0: Say, and well, society's really good at that, that these yeah. days <laughs> um oh, that's awesome though that you they that you worked on the RPG I I want I I have like different RPGs that I still haven't tried out like just you know s- small ones but I need to I only just do D and D mainly, um, but uh, the with the D six when you were talking about that. What's the other one that I what's it called? Uh, ah, shoot, I forget what it's called. It, but there's one where you have like white dice and black dice when you roll them, but it's a bunch of D six. Um, it'll come mm-hmm. to me later. Um, f- f- uh, nope.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, whatever. But uh, it just reminded me of that. Oh. Uh, so the different continents that you've lived in. Uh, so you've lived in three different ones. Oh, I sorry. I have an interruption here. We just got some new baby chicks. Aww. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> I guess oh, that's an important <laughs> interruption, actually.
0: Yeah. I can show the other one too. I'll hold it on camera. Hello. <laughs> they're adorable. As as a side note we or we have 12 chickens or we had 12 chickens and one was killed yesterday or the night before so i was really heartbroken yesterday and then like well let's get a replacement for them um so now i got these baby ones to help fill fill in the void (laughs) so um anyway so you uh, have lived in three different continents uh they've been north america south america and i assume
1: Europe yeah. in Europe.
0: Okay. Oh, okay. So what got you traveling around so much?
1: Um, well, you know, I was, uh, I, I always liked to travel. I've traveled since I was, since I was a kid. And uh, basically after I finished university and when I decided that I wasn't going to go on in a career in, in academia, I ended up working in a job that uh, allowed me to work from anywhere. And so I said, well, if I can work from anywhere, then I'm going to be then go anywhere. moving around. right?" Yeah. And I did that and I kept moving around. This was like more than 20 years ago now, right? But mm. uh, I went to a lot of different countries and a lot of different places and uh, uh, ended up at one point being here in, in Uruguay, in South America, and I liked it and all the conditions were right. And so I decided to stay and I've been here ever since basically. Give or take a bit.
0: You know. Yeah, you must. It must be nice there. I know some, someone in our community too. She lives in Honduras, I think. And just the pictures that I've seen, like, man, this it seems so beautiful. And uh, <laughs> I want to, I want to travel more to, to more, especially tropical places.
1: Well, Uruguay and Honduras are pretty different from each other. <laughs> so, no, yeah, Honduras, yeah, yeah. Is, Honduras is like in a in 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 a jungle region, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and Uruguay is in what's called the southern cone, the tip of South America. And so it's uh it's it's very hot during the summer, but it can actually get relatively cold. cold in the winter. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's why I'm like, well, I'd visit it in the nicer times though, because I'm in Pennsylvania now and after moving back from Chicago and both of them have like really hot summers and really cold winters. And I'm not a winter fan.
1: Right now we're in in autumn here, right? And uh oh, it right. Is, yeah. For, for you Americans, it's 55 degrees Fahrenheit here right now, so it's not especially warm.
0: You know? Do you use Celsius? <laughs>
1: Yeah, we have. So, some, okay. we're like, the entire rest of the world is Celsius. I know. For- well, thank
0: you for translating, because I really have no idea. Whenever I hear Celsius, uh, I did like, live in the can- U.S.
1: too, so I, I do know. <laughs> I know my Fahrenheit and my miles more or less.
0: Okay, that's good. Yeah, I, I know nothing though. If you could tell me that it's like 20 degrees Celsius, I'm like I don't, I have, I have no. Is that cold? Is that hot? Like we have Canadian friends that we lived near in Chicago, and I was just like, I don't even know what temperature your house is in right now because like, <laughs> what do I set your thermostat to? Um, and then, uh, what was the third, the third thing that you had the transgender, uh, cover art. So so then that was true too. So can you tell me about what the, what the art was and how that came about? I wrote
1: wrote an RPG called Arrows of Indra. This was in 2013. And, um, it was actually one of my earlier products, right? I'd I'd only written a few, I had already written, what was it? Three or four books before that one, but, uh, it was the first Mm -hmm. one that was really, Properly part of the OSR, the old school Renaissance, and what it was, it was basically um, the, dunge- the classic Dungeons and Dragons rules um, adapted to be played in the world of um, epic Indian myth, like the myth from the Mahabharata, mm. and um, it, it had it incorporated all of the elements of Indian mythology, of the 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 story of you know the war that happens in the Mahabharata, the, the kingdoms. Um, it was, you know, very well researched and all of that. It has details on all the, you know, monsters and creatures and magic of, of Indian myth. And um, and it had all the cultural aspects of the Indian world in that point in time, in what's, what you'd call the Vedic period. And uh, among that were things like the caste system and you know uh, slavery and 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 all of those sorts of things that were real things in history and another thing that was a real part of history in in the Vedic period and in many different periods in Indian society is that they have um a concept of a third gender right of a of a of a
0: oh yeah yeah. uh,
1: person that is neither male nor female right and and so we call it transgender person it's almost always that 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 third gender, whether it's the, the, what they call Kleba or, um, there's another term for it now that, uh, Hijra, um, they're, um, almost always born males, but end up, um, becoming females. They usually are, are, are eunuchs who then dress and, and live mm-hmm. as heels, but they're also considered different. Like they're not just treated absolutely like, like women, they're treated as, as, as sort of special and in the Vedic period uh, that third gender type were associated with uh, certain ritual elements that happened in the, in the temples and they were um, thought to have kind of a propensity for magic powers for, you know, things like fortune tellings or blessings or curses. Um, and so it's, you know, it was part of the culture and of course I was creating an a, a historically or mythologically authentic game so I, I, I wrote all about that, I included that, and did how you have to, you know, what type of a, a player character you could have that was this third gender type, and um, decided to, um, you know, include all that. So then when, you know, I, I don't make my own covers, right? I don't, I've never self-published anything, I always work with a publisher. The publisher in this case was Bedrock Games, and Bedrock Games, when they were, they're in charge, I just do the writing, right? They do all the art. All my publishers always take care of all the art, the layout, the editing, all the other stuff. I'm just a writer. So, when it came to de- determining the cover art, they got a really good cover artist, Bedrock Games did. And the artist had some ideas. I wanted to make sure that the art um, had elements of authenticity to it and wasn't like just sort of like this kind of fake you know, uh, American idea of what a Bollywood movie looks like type of cover art. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I they consulted me on it. And, and one of the things that the, the, the person had was, um, this kind of, uh, idea of having a group of adventurers fighting a demon at the entrance to a, um, to a, a, a temple in a jungle. And I said, okay, yeah. that, that all sounds good. And, um, and then, um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, there was some suggestion of, of, like, who did I want the the heroes to be on the cover? Um, and I remember I, I said I really wanted to be sure that there was an archer in it. And uh, I I don't I think maybe that the publisher said that there should be one of the, like, non-human races in it. So there's these kind of, like, um, pseudo-dwarves that exist in in Indian mythology. And so we had one of those. Um, and then there was obviously it had to be some kind of a magic user. Right. And so mm-hmm. I said, well, why not use, um, a character that is, uh, you know, one of the, the Kleba, one of the, the third gender people. Right. And so I, they did that and we never made a big deal about it. Right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it, it ended up, uh, I ended up finding out after, technically, I, uh, after a lot of investigation, I discovered that it was the first time ever that there was a trans hero character on the cover of an RPG <laughs> rule book ever. Right, so I was the one who put the first transgender character on the cover of an RPG. And uh, I, again, I didn't make a big deal out of it until you know the wokening started to happen until mm-hmm. like 2015, 2016. and now I love to bring it up with these assholes that want to like insinuate that I'm, call you, you know, yeah. a bigot or whatever, right. or you know, that I'm transphobic or something like that, you know. Just point <laughs> out, so, well. <laughs> uh, yeah, how can you say that? I'm the one. That, I'm the first person that had the guts to put a trans character on the cover of an RPG. You know? Right. <laughs> Okay. But I didn't think of it in that way at the time. I just thought of it as, oh, this would be an accurate depiction of the setting, you know?
0: Yeah. And I remember reading about you know a lot of that culture and stuff too, just a long time ago. Certainly have vague memories, but that sounds awesome. Um, and I think that's hilarious to be able to point that out to to when you have all of the, like the woke people trying to say like, well, you know, you're awful for this and, and, and you're homophobic, a bigot or whatever, the white supremacist. Um, they'll throw everything at you no matter what you are. Yeah. Um I guess that can lead into a next part too that can we get a little bit of your background I guess just generally like how long have you been a gamer and how you got into to writing um and publishing different things too?
1: Yeah. Um so I've been gaming since the original old school period since the mid 80s basically or you know the the middle half of the mid 80s i guess let's say uh okay. when i started in elementary school which is how old i was back then and um you know like in i, I guess it was, it was grade six i think yeah um and uh it was you know back then the, the, the game was kind of a, a still a, a fad right it was still something that was popular uh it, which is kind of weird right when you think about it that you know dutch the dragons in the 70s and the 80s had become had reached a certain level of mainstream popularity and it had a certain reputation of being kind of um, countercultural right uh-huh. like when I started gaming I was easily the nerdiest guy at my table right and everybody else who was playing were like Heavy metal guys or like skaters, you know, like oh. they were all like these uh-huh. counterculture figures that were like, Yeah, you know, the D is awesome because it's got, you know, succub naked succubus images on the, the DMG, you know, and, and you can do like s- demon summoning magic, you know, <laughs> like stuff like that, right? That was the reputation it had, right? Ah. And, and then by the time I was in high school, I was easily the least nerdy guy at the table, <laughs> right? That, that, because, everybody else there was just a geek, right? It had become a geek thing and it remained that. And I've always said that uh, we were way better off back when, you know, mothers were worried that that their sons would become Satanists because they play D than you know, what happened in the nineties and the two thousands when mothers were worried that their, their son's, would still be living in their basement uh. at the age of thirty because they played D anD D. Yeah,
0: so, I guess. Yeah, I, didn't think I, about I was that always dynamic. in
1: favor of being part of the counterculture.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was just a regular gamer for 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 very for a very long time, right? It wasn't. It was never. You know, I, I mean, of course, it was a childhood dream. You know, literally, literally, I can I I can remember when I was you know twelve or thirteen years old. This. This fantasy I had of, of you know working at TSR at the time and and writing Dungeons and Dragons and how incredible that would be right but I you know I didn't take it seriously uh, at that point right I I, right. I was I ended up going to university I gamed all through you know the 90s I was uh, I studied uh, history and comparative religion and uh, at the at the same university that Jordan Peterson studied at, and uh, yeah. Ezra Levant, so, oh. <laughs> so that, that university has a lot to answer for, I think, yeah. <laughs> the University of Alberta. Anyway, uh, and uh, after that, you know, like, um, when Dungeons and Dragons third edition came out, uh, I was, uh, I was already living, no, I was, I was still living 99. I don't remember where I was living, but I wasn't in Uruguay yet. But, uh, but a few years after that, I was right. And when, uh, in the, in the early two thousands, I had noticed that gaming culture was, uh, having this kind of interesting battle between people who wanted gaming to be a, um, something, um, fun and entertaining versus, People who wanted gaming to be super serious stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up becoming a, a blogger on kind of the side against the the story gamers, the people that wanted gaming to be like this this super serious intellectual pursuit. <laughs> and uh, you know, I called myself the RPG pundit. I started a blog about that, and the blog was quite successful. Uh, and ended up writing a lot about kind of. Because the thing is that the, the, the side that didn't like Dungeons and & Dragons and that that were the story gamers, they created these complex sort of intellectual theories of role-playing, all of which were meant to argue that D&D sucks, right? And that, mm-hmm. that the real game that, that people actually want to play, they're just too stupid to know it, are these like sophisticated story-making games about um, degenerate university professors or game. <laughs> boys or you know uh lower class non-white girls having smoke breaks behind the the mcdonald's they work at right and that that's the real gaming you know and not dungeons and dragons and of course all these people 10 10 15 years later would all become the the SJWs in the yeah. gaming. when they realized that nobody liked their stupid ideas? <laughs> they took another another shot at it by instead making it political instead of intellectual, mm-hmm. which is which is really what all SJWism is. It's people who think they're very smart and uh, you know are midwit educated at like you know middling university level and uh, and and think that because of that they should be more respected than they are, and so they want to use the, the, the stupid things they've learned as a way to get power and respect. But uh, anyway, I, yeah. I, I, I was also university educated, probably better than they were, and so I decided to, you know recognizing their tactics, turn that around and produce coherent arguments that were uh, in defense – of gaming the way it is, you know, and what gaming actually does. And along the way, trying to understand kind of the psychology of playing Dungeons and Dragons and, and what makes it work and what is what creates the peak experiences in Dungeons and Dragons play. And it turned out that the things that, that they were condemning about Dungeons and Dragons as being, you know, incoherent are actually the things that I think are the essence of peak role playing, which is a couple of things that are called emulation and immersion. So emulation means that you have, um, that you, you're playing in a world that ends up feeling real, right? The more real that the dungeon master can make the world feel to the player, the better the experience is going to be. And immersion, which is, which requires emulation to happen is where you as the player, are playing uh, your character and have played your character long enough and in a world that is real enough that the character starts becoming real also. And so then you have this immersive experience at which kind of I describe the peak moment of immersion being when you're playing your character and then suddenly you realize your character is going to do something that you didn't think up consciously. It just comes out of you and, yeah. it, and it surprises you. Oh, shit, I didn't know my character was going to do this, right? <laughs> but yeah. but it's because your character now has a life of its own, right? And that's the peak moment of immersion. So a lot of people have had that kind of experience. Um, and and you, you understand, if you're a gamer that's played long enough, you understand that peak experience. So I was writing some kind of deep stuff on this blog and ended up having a lot of game designers at the time, the ones that weren't kind of the the, you know, <laughs> the proto SJWs, but other game designers reading that blog and commenting on it, sometimes debating about it and so on. One of the people who was a very frequent reader and commentator on that blog was a guy named Mike Merles. And uh, Mike Merles at that time was just a, a very little known game designer uh, who was right. not, who hadn't really worked on anything at, at, at first. Then later he ended up writing a couple of D20 RPGs, like third-party RPGs, and collaborated a bit with Monty Cook. Monty Cook was one of the designers of Third Edition Dungeons and Dragons, so he was like making his way up in the world, right? But a couple of years later, Mike Merles ended up becoming um, the lead designer of Dungeons and Dragons for Wizards of the Coast, right? And when he did that, he he was, you know, he was eventually tasked with creating the fifth edition of D and D after fourth edition was an absolute disaster. And part of the reason why fourth edition was so bad was that it was based on some of these theories that these story gamers had of what, you know, what was bad about D and D and how it's, sh- how you could make a version of D and D that was less bad. Right. But remember, these were all people that hated D and D. So you shouldn't take advice on how the, to fix D and D from someone who despises it. Right. right. Whose first premise is that D and D is awful. Right. And not so gonna that's why fourth edition it. was hated by so many people. I predicted at the time that fourth edition came out that uh, they would lose exact that wizards would lose almost exactly two thirds of its, of its market base, uh, from this, this edition. And, uh, when, when Mike Merles was put in charge of doing fifth edition, he sent me an email. He said, basically that, you know, that was correct. You know? And so they yeah. wanted me to consult. Nice. on fifth edition. And, uh, I, uh, consulted there, I worked with him. I was, we had for months an exchange of hundreds of emails where we were developing concepts. Now I didn't like literally, you know, like I didn't write the description of a spell or something like that. You know, I didn't, I didn't write text. there were other people, you know, the way wizards works, it's a corporation and you've got like the idea guys at level at the top tier. And then you have, The directors of the creative teams and then you have the supposed creative teams which is actually ironic because they're not allowed to be creative at all that are told what to write and then like you know those those are the people like jeremy crawford and chris perkins who are the ones that are now kind of higher up and are pretending that they're you know people of importance um but the like the big concepts of what is this game gonna be like and, and you know what's its structure going to be and, and how are we gonna make it as, as appealing as possible to as many people as possible? That was stuff that was conceived of in emails between myself and Mike Merle, you know? Um right. So after, after fifth edition came out, there was a lot of um, pushback from, you know, this was in 2014 now, so this was uh, the the very early period of what you could call the the SJw the wokeness movement but uh, they, they immediately went on the attack these people already hated me because I' had, you know been constantly attacking them and their ideas and they jumped on you know that I was somehow some kind of a bigot a transphobe or whatever you know, all this sort of stuff um, they attacked another consultant as well um, the claims that they made were baseless about both of us. It actually, the whole thing, the whole, um, controversy came to be, um, called consultant gate. And it actually happened about six months before gamer gate happened. So this was, this was the SJW crowd doing like a, a dress rehearsal. Yeah, Yeah. And and they failed because wizards and, and Mike Merle stuck, you know, to their guns on this and didn't, didn't listen to them they were doing it because they hated the fifth edition and wanted to destroy it they wanted it to like be be the controversy to kill it at its very beginning and then when that failed their next plan became well then let's take over fifth edition and that's essentially what they've done now but but anyways out of being a consultant i ended up um you know becoming a, a bit better known especially after consultant gate my, uh, I st- I had already by then published Arrows of Indra, but then I started publishing other RPG products, uh, and just decided to go full time making RPGs. I'm one of maybe like tabletop is not a very you know uh, financially stable enterprise, right? But but I'm, I'm I think one of maybe less than a dozen people for sure that makes a full time living writing rpg products almost That's no awesome. one can do that you know I, that, yeah. that, that doesn't work for some kind of a corporation anyways yeah um, so i had a full-time independent rpg producer and uh yeah i've written hundreds of <laughs> well uh over a hundred products since then um in many of which are pdf periodicals but i've got i think oh geez how many have i got now i've got uh at least a dozen physical products i think so uh big books and so on um and uh, i i eventually went out of blogging and into youtube and my youtube channel has become kind of a um a center pin for the osr movement which is the the old school renaissance design movement that i've always that i've become a big backer of um, in the last few years
0: yeah can you uh i'd like you to get more into like describing the OSR in comparison to like modern stuff too uh, if if you're willing to do that. Real quick, mm-hmm. I just want to say hello to people in chat. <laughs> okay. um, but just, hi Boston Josh and yes, this is a DD and d dress. Uh, hi Silverlock. It is disappointing that people only think that there's d and I remember the other game too. It's called Fortunes. That was the one that, that had a bunch of like you, if you roll, I think it was, I forget how it worked, but it was a lot of D6s. But Sorry, how, you, how, what was the game called? I think it's called Fortunes. So Oops. if you've heard of that, yeah, they, I've, never heard of that. It's, weird. Uh, I've only played it once, but it was, it's a lot more st- storytelling heavy, but you, you roll like a bunch of dice. And I think, I forget what it was. Like if you get more sixes or something on the white dice or black dice, like good things would happen with the white dice, black, uh, the bad stuff would happen on the black dice. Um, and then, and you just play into it. So when I kept having bad things happen to me and, and so you just kind of go hard into like, okay, like how terrible can this next thing be? And, um it was a lot of fun but i knew it would come to me eventually <laughs> mm. but uh, silverlock i know h- him in chat he likes savage worlds if you know that rpg i'm playing that tonight actually with a fr- with some friends
1: familiar with savage worlds it's uh it's not one of my favorite games but i mean it's a it's a perfectly good game and it's a lot of fun you know
0: and that one too like i, I think what's interesting that it, it doesn't use d20 that like so they use they they emphasize all the other Polyhedral shapes. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. What? What? I guess real quick too. What's your favorite die type?
1: <laughs> that's have- a that's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not one of these people that has a lot of like superstitions about dice or anything like that. Yeah. Um. I obviously, I one of the things I think is very appealing about RPGs uh-huh. is having unusual dice, right? Like like a a game. There are some RPGs that only use six-sided dice, the regular, you know, dice, but um, I think I always think that the having the unusual dice is, is like a feature that is kind of special. But that said, I'm not sure that I have a particular one that I like more than others. I play uh, one of the OSR games that is out there is a game called um, Dungeon Crawl Classics, yeah. and Dungeon Crawl Classics is a game that uses some really weird dice because it has, for example, the 14-sided dice and the 16-sided dice and the 24-sided dice and the 30-sided dice, right? So uh, I guess I could say, like, one of the dice I really like is that, as in, like, specific dice that I really like is a D24 that I got to play dungeon crawl classics just because it's so unusual you know so uh but but it's not because i think it's special in some other way it's just because it's uh you know nobody nobody most gamers even haven't seen a 24-sided
0: yeah oh i've seen like you know the big d 100s and other or like d3s and all that too like i think that's uh, I, and I love that I don't have any with me now but I have like weird shaped ones that are like ones like a unicorn horn set oh, yeah. Um, and yeah I, I'm I'm addicted to dice they call me a dice goblin <laughs> So, <laughs> um, but I oh, and I was wrong too that the fortunes that's not the name of it I'm trying to wait it's uh let's see what the answer is fortunes was a game that my friend invented that has to do with tarot cards so i still can't remember the name i know the gameplay but i just can't remember the game and my boyfriend is not answering so i'll let you know what that is uh someone said to do a poll and chat favorite die type but it only gives me four options too so i don't even know what four options should i give the people what (laughs) out of um you you tell me so i'll say d 12 uh D20. Should I throw in a D24? Yeah,
1: I guess.
0: (laughs) Six for lame. Okay, we'll do that. Um, I've never done a poll before, so see if that works. Uh, Anyway, the yeah. Can you go into so old school renaissance uh, or renaissance? um, And how like how does that differ from from the modern stuff that we play today?
1: Um, well, the old school renaissance is a movement that started in the mid 2000s, you know, around 2005, 2006. Um, and it was originally the reason that it existed was because by that time, it was really hard to get like the old editions of d d You could buy them used. Right. But, it, you know, this was. Uh, they were usually very expensive, and so on. And there were a bunch of people who were still playing those old editions, okay. and were, were wanted to be able to have the rule books, and wanted, you know, there were still people that were that kind of wanted to make new adventures for those for those rules. And so the the very beginnings of the OSR was um, people. Went, you see, one of the things about about role playing games, you can't copyright game rules so as long as you're not cutting and pasting like if you're if you're writing a set of rules that have all the same rules as dungeons and dragons but you're not you're not writing the same you're not you know copying the same text you're writing it yourself then you can basically copy all of the rules of the game and in, in this new product and and it's legal right so people started taking these old editions, like for, you know, advanced Dungeons & Dragons, AD&D, first edition, Mm -hmm. the original Dungeons & Dragons box set, or the basic expert Dungeons & Dragons, which were, you know, these were the different editions that existed in the 70s and 80s. And they were making games that were basically clones of those. They were were the same rules, but uh, just rewritten and given a new title. So there's a game called Labyrinth Lord that is a cloned copy of the old red box basic Dungeons and Dragons rules. Um, And then there's another one called Osric, which is a clone of the first edition advanced Dungeons and Dragons rules. Um, And, and that's, that's kind of how it started. Those books became popular um, because this was before you had mass printing and print on demand on PDF, right? It was only a few years before that, but you know, that was still, a way to go and so it was it was uh, ironically the the existence of print on demand meant that wizards was going to re-release all these old books and today you can buy them all with print on demand um, so it kind of killed the idea of the clone but it it actually also made it much easier for people to publish independent products including other old school products Um, and, and very quickly, even though at first, like the original OSR group were people that all they wanted to do was play the old games. They didn't want innovation, but pretty soon you had some people showing up and saying, well, what if we took these rules and changed them a bit? And then what if, what if we change them some more and then put in, um, enough that it basically becomes a different version of Dungeons and Dragons than, than just being a copy of the old Dungeons and Dragons. One of the first people who did this was a guy named, uh, James Raggy. Who wrote a, a game called Lamentations of the Flame Princess, which is which is Dungeons and Dragons uh, in like a copy of the old you know the old edition version of Dungeons and Dragons, but it's remade to be um, much more of a weird fantasy and sort of um, what does he call it? Um, grindhouse fantasy. Uh, That's yeah, what he calls okay. it than uh, a regular Dungeons and Dragons would. And what he did is he changed the rules to fit that method, right? So for example, um, wizards all have like summoning spell, but they, they, there is no like fireball or lightning bolt, right? And clerics can't raise the dead. So when you die, you die, right? You're, you, you have one shot, right? And, uh, the, the classes were made to have much more niche protection. So only fighters get better at fighting as they go along. Okay. All that, those sorts of changes, you make enough of those, it becomes a different game. And yet it's still Dungeons and Dragons. It's still classic Dungeons and Dragons. And this is what inspired what's called the second wave of the OSR movement, which was um, this realization that you can use the skeleton of Dungeons and Dragons, right, like the most basic parts of the rules as a framework For a design movement to make new and exciting games, innovative games, that still fit within the structure. It's has like the rule is that it has to still fit within the compatibility with Dungeons and Dragons. And that that's a very interesting concept because it's a design school that has to paint within a box, right? And so within that box, though, you can make almost anything you want. And and the the framework, right? The restriction of saying, "Well, what you have to do has to still be compatible with the original D and D core," you know, the essence of what is D and D, forces people in in certain ways to be more intelligently creative than if they were just told, "Well, make whatever game you want." Whatever. Mm-hmm. There, uh, most design movements were in role playing games were kind of that, right? Like they were. They were like, well, you know, like story gaming. Story gaming was a design movement that was based on you make your game as, as different from Dungeons and Dragons as possible and and make sure it's pretentious, right? <laughs> and it, it never produced a single worthwhile game. Whereas the OSR, what it did is it said, Well, what's the essence of DD? What are those most basic rules that define something as d Let's let's have that. That's that's the the frame, and then and then you can remake it any way you want, right? So now there are There are literally hundreds of OSR products out there. And so that includes stuff like, for example, Arrows of Indra rewrites Dungeons & Dragons into a game that was designed not to be a kind of generic sword and sorcery 70s fantasy, but rather a game that was specifically made to play epic Indian mythological fantasy, right? And my my other game, Lion & Dragon, people who look at the avatar here can see part of the cover of Lion & Dragon is uh, that's my best-selling product of all time, by the way. Um, Lion and Dragon is a reimagining of d and to say, hey, wait, what if d and was done to actually be medieval fantasy? Because most people think, well, d is medieval fantasy, right? I mean, you know, that's what d and is, isn't it? But it's not. <laughs> d is actually like um, a renaissance fair TV movie sort of fantasy yeah. Uh, yeah. of like... It, uh, it has. It doesn't. It doesn't replicate, for example, what medieval culture was like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't replicate the elements of, you know, religion and Christianity. It doesn't have uh, the. It doesn't have the elements of how medieval people saw magic. It, the The monsters are not medieval monsters. So I said, okay, what if we take Dungeons and Dragons, and we make sure that it has like the social rules of the middle era of the Middle Ages. It has, um, you know, it's set to be played in a world that is basically the real medieval world. The magic is based on what medieval people thought magic worked like. The monsters are all based on what medieval sources have about real medieval monsters, right? i say real in the sense of how medieval people imagined the world, right? And and so the end game is something that's a totally different experience than uh, if you're playing if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, like Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition or, or any of the editions, has this kind of generic modern fantasy feel to it that, that can only barely be called medieval. It's only medieval in the, in the slightest ways, right? Whereas Lion and Dragon, it plays like, you know, the closest thing in modern fantasy to what Lion and Dragon plays plays like is sort of Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones has a bit more of that, medieval styling to it right like you could probably run a really good game of thrones campaign using mm-hmm. Lion lion dragon yeah um but it's you know it also it plays like as if you're role playing in the world of shakespeare's um shakespeare's uh war of the roses saga right like his uh, his uh, his medieval king sagas right so like it's it's that sort of um interest action or if you're you know you can use it to play um earlier medieval stuff, too, so you could use it to play something Arthurian, for example. Uh, and, and, you know, that's that's only, like, kind of the milder end of the OSR. You've got, you know, people have done, like, OSR games for playing commando raids during the Second World War, where you know, there's no magic, there's not, you're, you're a commando, you're, you're a special unit soldier fighting in World War II, you know. Uh, there's There's really no limit to how creative you can get with the the setting elements and how you modify the rules as long as they stay within that compatibility to um to actually uh what sort of game you produce right now we're we're doing well we're doing uh, there's somebody on the chat here named taylor lane who's a friend of mine and taylor is doing a um, a game jam on itch.io and uh i'm afraid i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember the 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 address of it but uh it's um maybe taylor will comment if they're still on here uh the uh the game jam that that they're doing there is for people who want to like try their hand at making an rpg mm-hmm. and uh it's calling for rpgs that are 5000 words or less so it's a very short RPG and the goal is make it as unusual as you possibly can while still being OSR compatible. Right? And so like those okay. sorts of exercises are really interesting because it leads people to make like some creative new mechanics that later on get kind of imitated and copied, right? The, like, uh, you know, the magic system in Lion and Dragon was inspired, not the magic, not the spells, but the the way you do um, magic roll like you, you don't, it's not like you memorize it in D and D instead you, you roll a D 20, you have to beat a number. And, uh, um, all of that came out of a mechanic that was in dungeon crawl classics, right? Uh-huh. Um, dungeon crawl classics borrowed stuff from other games too. Like, and, and because everything is compatible, all of these really clever people are making these games and you can take all these different books and mash them all together, right? Stuff from one book can be easily transported to the other because it's all compatible yeah. with itself. And that's that's the big appeal of the old of the OSR.
0: Yeah, I I like that a lot. Because I, 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 what I like D and D is like being able to take like the the skeleton. Because we kind of do our own. Sometimes we're like, oh, we're gonna switch it up and just kind of make our own thing for a one shot. But then you're kind of mm-hmm. using some like base mechanics, or whatever. And then um, because my my campaign that I have my friends and I or half of us were improvisers in Chicago. So like we do a lot more like co- silly comedy based stuff when we do it too. But I like that 5e does kind of allow for, uh, that's what we play though too, but kind of allows for like, Hey, we'll just take some of the, the essence of it and then make it our own thing. Um, and, and I haven't really gotten as much like into other stuff as I'd like to though, but there's just so much out there. Um, but uh yeah, I, I don't know whether or not you would, how you would feel, but like whether you'd think that, like, oh, the way that I run my game is like, oh, this is, this is, you know, good. Or you'd be like, I hate it because I, I don't know how, I'm not very great at mechanics. I have like the other people know mechanics better than I do. Um, so sometimes, and I, and I do a lot of like, I, I like anime. So a lot of the stuff that I do is like, oh, inspired from what I've seen on shows and stuff. And, and I have like a full plot, but we, uh that they, they kind of take it like where it's not pretentious they we do a lot of like jokes a lot of bits but then and those things kind of become canon within the storyline and then we just kind of like build from there and but then they they still play in a way that that uh Progresses the storyline, and they might like meta game, but in a helpful way to me too. Where it's just like we want to do this crazy thing, but we're gonna sit and wait on it before we actually do this, so that way, like out of game, I can prepare for the next session. So, it's so like really nice about it.
1: <laughs> well, uh, first of all, I I think that anybody who's actually role playing for the sake of role playing, right? If you're playing if you're playing D and D or whatever role playing game because you like gaming. That I'm I'm not going to criticize you about that, right? Um, because the only the only people, you know, the only thing we care about is that you game, right? It's not, yeah. You know, uh, the the people that are like, you know, game, getting involved in gaming for other reasons, whether it's you know, political reasons or or whatever, you know, or as a you know, a social because it's you know because it's socially trendy or whatever. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's a that's big that's thing the problem, now. Right? But the people that are there because they want a game, they really enjoy gaming, then. Do whatever works for you, right? But second, I should point out that I'm, I'm usually, you know, I'm usually the game master in my games, but I'm almost never the guy that best knows the rules in any group, right? Yeah. Even when <laughs> I wrote the rules, I'm usually <laughs> not the guy that knows them best. There's usually some fanboy in one of my gaming groups that says, "Hey, but remember you wrote here," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, you're right." <laughs> so uh, that's that's not a a big impediment, really, you know. Yeah, uh, but, that makes you know, it's better. funny what you say about making your own thing with fifth edition, that one of the things that, that Mike Burles and I had really talked about when we were designing fifth edition and that what we wanted it to be was a game that was easy to modify. Right, mm-hmm. We wanted to be specifically what we were talking about was modularity because the third edition and the fourth edition of, of Dungeons and Dragons were not easy to modify. They didn't have easy modularity because if you tried to change a rule, there were a whole bunch of other things that were interconnected with that rule that if you changed it would then stop working the right way. And, and it made it really complicated. Whereas what we wanted to do was a system where it was very easy to make those modular changes. So that every DM, could make what he wants out of the game. And we had this yeah. kind of vision, this dream, that it would be like a thousand points of light, right? Like that everybody who bought D&D would run the game their own way and they'd make up their own version of it, or their own house yeah. rules. And some, some of them would publish about it or write about it on you know, forums or whatever they were going to do. Yeah. And, that, and that one of the things that would be like most popular about D&D 5th uh, edition would be how easy it is to change. Right, and that never ended up happening. Instead, what happened is almost everybody became just these these robots, you know. Like, uh, it, and I don't know why. Because if you look at the the rules in the players' handbook, it's very clear how modular they are. If you look at the dungeon master's guide, we filled it with optional rules, and that that were meant to be an example of how easy it is to change how you use fifth edition. Right, but but instead of that, uh, and I don't know what ended up really causing this you ended up having everybody wanting to play DD the same way and in fact um this idea that you have to ask people in authority uh, when there's some doubt about the rules right so people don't even like just work it out themselves they end up going and asking jeremy fucking crawford about it you know <laughs> in uh, in his advice column or whatever yeah so yeah,
0: yeah. i i maybe it helped me cuz like i'm i'm still relatively new to like i'd always wanted to play and then um and i never got the chance to so like fifth edition is the first edition that i had ever played so like that's the only one that i know and when i started dming i started with what were we trying i think it was princes of the apocalypse i tried to do do that module and um and it was but it was a lot of like Uh, if you're doing this jump to chapter six and then if you do this thing jump to chapter three and so it was like okay i have to know everything that's going on first and it was it was daunting um so eventually after like one session i was like nope i'm scrapping this it's a lot easier for me to keep track of my own world so it's just like hey we're all you're you know you're transferring over to this world and then like i had like it's all in my head and so like i understand like the npcs and what they want to do way more because it's just coming from me and rather than having to like read through it so uh, it was a lot easier for me to kind of start that and uh and the harder part too was uh Learning how to let the players have Like their agency because I would see things Like here's the cut screen That were like you guys get trapped you know Like you're fighting on a ship but you, you get captured And so then like why are you guys like trying to fight This like no just let yourselves be captured And then I would like force it and kind of Railroad and like this feels awful and so Eventually like afterward yeah. I'm like okay I had to learn how to like you no know, let Them all try let them do stuff like be open To like anything can happen Um And then doing more improv and stuff helped me With that too just as far as like okay I'm not I have like this is what the NPCs are trying to accomplish what the players what the characters end up doing like who knows and like that'll affect the world and then just kind of building from there so it there was some growing pains but eventually I think I got a lot looser as far as like you guys can try whatever you want to do um and then like whether or not you can succeed at it like is a different story like or if it's gonna like you know totally fall on your face but um but yeah like it was it was fun to like learn and, and, and get more experience with it so the campaign that i've been doing has been going on for like three and a half years now right um and the and i, I don't know it's a lot of fun i'm kind of getting a little burnt out because we do it weekly but um so that I, I, I they're like so close they're getting so close to the end i finally like revealed some like bigger bigger plot stuff and so like they're really wanting to play but we also do like uh, filler sessions too for holidays so like oh here's this the April Fool's one or here's the Easter special and stuff so we do that so we're cutting in between now and they're like we just want to get back to like the main plot and see what happens <laughs>
1: yeah. Well it sounds like you're you're getting you, you went through this whole kind of arc of, of going from being a newbie GM to starting to understand the concepts of emulation which is what I was talking about earlier right Like right. How, to, how to make the world a living world you know
0: yeah and and i know from like the players even telling me l- later too how like they they like that the stuff that they do like affects the world then later on and 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 it makes me excited because there's stuff that i'm like i never expected this to happen or like i added in like big plot stuff just because they th- like they wanted to go do one thing and then here's this like small npc and then they, they keep like starting businesses too so they are like they got <laughs> sponsored by like this jewelry like these they saved a couple girls he was like sell jewelry and like hey do you want to sponsor us so now like they advertise for the company um so it's just like a, a lot of it's they're really entrepreneurial, even though they're actually like more on the SJW side of things, though, because they're like liberals in Chicago, but we don't yeah. do politics much. But so, like, they like socialism, but they really love starting their own businesses. Like, they have several of them in my campaign. I'm like, I don't, I'm going to let you do it because I want you to kind of learn. But, uh, <laughs> So then they they even invented, like, the train system. Like, they invented trains. So, like, yeah, I'll I'll let that go. And, like, yeah, you're the creator of the railways. (laughs) So we have that. (laughs) Um, But yeah it's definitely it's been a lot of fun to get into it and i'm glad that i uh, finally did again like i didn't get into it until i was like 22 once i started dating my boyfriend and he was like the first person that i knew i'm like oh you've actually played can you teach my friends and me how to do this i had a D starter box for years and we just never like played it that was a like, he ran it and i'm like this is a lot of fun how come <laughs> we did this before
1: um that's great um what was I going to say? Oh yeah. In my, uh, so my, on my YouTube channel, one of the things, I mean, a lot of my YouTube videos are, are basically talking about the politics of the game's hobby. Right. Mm. But I, I have kind of, I've divided my channel into, um, different playlists and, uh, one of those playlists, uh, which has, it's got to have like 50 videos by now, um, my my YouTube, by the way, is uh, RPG pundit or Kazimir Urbanski RPG pundit. Um, I don't know if you're gonna have the link in the description yeah, later. I'll even whatever. put it in chat um, too. But yeah, I'll put so
0: everything. One of the,
1: on the one later. of the um, the playlists that I have there is called D and D things they taught you wrong on purpose, and uh, that's basically us videos that are meant for people who are relatively newer to the hobby about kind of how to play rpgs and how to run rpgs and it's uh it focuses on breaking notions of of some sometimes very commonly held notions that that relatively new gamers have um about because somebody at some point told them you know about how to run a game that that's actually wrong you know that that you shouldn't be doing right like for example, oh, game—the gameplay has to be balanced, right? That's that's a very common piece of advice that's completely wrong.
2: You know? I'm so
0: glad that you say that because there's so much imbalanced in mine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or, player characters should have complex backstories. No, that that's also wrong. Your player characters become real not because you create like some elaborate backstory for them. You have to play them, and then they'll they become play. real as you yeah. go along.
0: And that's definitely happened. Yeah, yeah,
1: I love. Or that. even stuff like you know. Players should all have equal play time. That's not that's not necessarily true. There are some because in any gaming group, think about this, right? There's going to be some players that want to be always on, and then there are some that are that are that are really not. Um, they don't necessarily want to be on this in the spotlight all the time, right? So you do have to kind of. Um, the ones that want to always be the the, the guy in charge or the person doing the, doing the thing right now, sometimes you have to slow that person down and give other people a chance, right? But you also don't necessarily want the person who, who, who is comfortable being kind of the backup, right? You don't want to force them to have as much time as the person that wants to be the prima right. donna, right? So yeah. you've got to know your yeah. player, right? The, the idea, oh, everybody gets equal time. No, that's wrong. <laughs> so yeah. there's just a lot of stuff like this that is just... Um, D and D training for dungeon masters, especially, yeah, because I think it's kind of missing these days, you know. So,
0: yeah, I, I like that kind of the equal, you know, like not having giving them equal, but it's just like give them the room to shine in how how they play. So then, just yeah, kind of, and I and what you were saying earlier too about like having the the, the immersion and like oh, I'm reacting this way despite. Or like oh, I wasn't really thinking about it. This is just kind of your automatic reaction as far as how the character would would react, yeah. um, and and that I think that happened again. We had just like the the silly is the April Fool's Easter session. So I had them. They were like in a ride where they had like little laser light guns, um, but it was like got super dark and the one it was uh, you know pitch pitch black and the one character has a fear of dark and loves light like he's a light cleric and so he just kept shooting himself in the eye with the light <laughs> but it was just like the dumbest thing though and they're like why are you doing that and he's like oh because it gives me you know, it's light for a second and but it was just like yeah he's gonna do like these these stupid things because that's just who he is um, <laughs> but uh yeah i okay well like before i want to get more into uh i guess like the your experiences with wokeism and and all of that like in in the rpg life um but first i want to do a a quick would you rather game okay um and so i i think i have them all kind of based off of rpg stuff so okay uh there are gonna be three questions um and i'll give you and you and you're allowed to ask any follow-up questions if you want to but you can interpret these however you want um so question number one would you rather be a game master or a player. And I know you said that you mostly GM everything, but if you had the choice.
1: Oh I definitely game master.
0: Really? So you're you're fine with always having to tell a story and not not getting the No no hang on now.
1: The game master does not tell a story, at least not when he's doing it right.
0: Oh that's true. That's fair. That's fair. The
1: game master creates a living world. That's what the game master has to do. Right. So the game the game master isn't an author the game master is God. That's what, the, and, he's, yes. and he's supposed to be a clockwork God, right? not, you a,
0: always say not God. an
1: interventionist God, you know, he's neutral. Um, but you know, I like creating worlds, which is part of why I, I guess I became a writer too. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's something I, I enjoy a lot more. I can, I can definitely have fun playing, but i always have more fun DMing.
0: Yeah. I, I, i'm not sure which i'd choose because i i do like getting the chance to play but like the same thing like again the when i got to build the world and have like oh here's what i'm like picturing in my head and now i have other people getting to explore this this world and that they're helping build too because then we're getting to build it together like it's it's a lot of fun and i guess too getting to play all the different npcs they they like to troll me sometimes because they're like hey here's this this party or wherever we're at that has like all the different NPCs that we've come so they make hello? me have to talk
1: <laughs> hello hello sorry it looks like we got cut off there for a moment there. oh did you okay, okay.
0: <laughs> can you hear me
1: yeah I okay. mi- I probably missed the last things you said though
0: oh I already forgot what I said oh I think I was just saying that the um, I just like to be able to get to build the world uh, and with them yeah. together so I do love being able to like Run all that and and playing the different NPCs because when you're just a player, you only get to play one character. But as the NP, like when you get to GM, then you're you're all a bunch of different characters. So I get to like get into other other personalities. Um, so you choose game master. Okay. Oh, I never give you points for the first game either. So you get five points for your uh, two truths and a lie. So you're on the board with five points. I'm going to give you another point for this. Would you rather?
1: All right. Uh, it sounds so, like you're making this up as you go along. <laughs> never,
0: <laughs> I would never do that. Uh, question two: <laughs> Would you rather be an an unintelligent wizard or a physically weak barbarian?
1: Oh, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, I'm one of my longest running campaigns is uh my world of the last sun campaign which is kind of like the opposite of what i was talking about with lion and dragon right lion and dragon is super um not realistic but super uh authentic um medieval setting game right and world of the last sun is a setting that is for gonzo role playing right like it's post-apocalyptic magic um high tech low tech everything in between with like talking animals and all kinds of crazy stuff right it's a very it's a it's a crazy um high fantasy setting um that is uh the campaign of it that that inspired that book is still going on today and the main protagonist i guess of that campaign the player there's only one player out of all the players who is still playing the first character he played, and he's been playing it the entire campaign. So almost 10 years now where he's been playing the same character. Wow. And that character's name is Bill the Elf. And Bill the Elf is incredibly dumb, right? I think he's got like a six or a five intelligence. So he's an extremely dumb spellcaster, and yet somehow has managed, you know, and he plays him as as a stupid man, right? He plays the character... As someone who's just not that bright either, but he somehow managed to stumble his way around, causing all kinds of chaos in that world, and now he's you know he's become famous sort of mm. <laughs> both inside that world in the campaign, and uh, in, you know people who people who, who watch my YouTube channel know a bit about Billy Elf, you know, <laughs> and the people in the OSR have heard that name. So uh, I guess I would say a stupid wizard. You know? Okay, <laughs> it used to work actually. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess go with what works. Uh, that's fine. I'll give you another point for that answer. You chose correctly. Um, then we we'll move on to question three. Final question: Would you rather be known for creating the most popular RPG in the world, or actually live in a fantasy setting with magic and dragons, etc.? So then it wouldn't be fantasy. It'd be reality.
1: Oh. Uh, well, you know, when you think about most fantasy settings, they're pretty shitty places to live in, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's wonderful and whatever. But so, so wouldn't it be exciting? It's like people are like, oh, wouldn't it be exciting to live in the Middle Ages? No, trust me. <laughs> no, i There ever. is no time in Keep all of flaming. human history that it was better to live in than it is to live mm-hmm. in 21st century Western civilization. It's right. the very best, you know. So like, unless you're saying, can you live in the future where it'll be even better? Maybe, maybe it'll be better in the future, but there's no time in the past when it's better. And, and just because there's, you know, magic around, you know, like if you've got to worry about hordes of orcs coming and, you know, conquering <laughs> the kingdom or yeah. dark hordes or shit like that. You know, so I, I think being a historian and knowing, <laughs> knowing how these things really are, uh, I would probably say that it, unless I was like, you know, had godlike powers in a fantasy setting. You know, mm. then, then maybe. Yeah. But if if, <laughs> if I wasn't up there at the very top of the one percent of the most powerful people in the game world, I really wouldn't want to live in almost any game world, right? So I think I would rather be the most famous game designer. Yes,
0: no, that's totally fair. What a great answer to that, too. Just because, like, yeah, I that's how I feel. Um, I. I like I need bathrooms like indoor plumbing and all that like I don't know just would I trade that for the ability for magic I guess if I could fly I really have always wanted the power of flying Um, (laughs) but I don't think so I think I'd I'd rather just live in modern times and and just play it in a in on a tabletop game (laughs) so totally great answer you'll get another point for that one you're i think that's a total of eight points so far you are in the lead of this game oh i'm glad to hear it (laughs) (laughs) um and i forgot too to mention that game that i misremembered before it's called fiasco if you've heard that of of that game that one that name might be more
1: i've heard of fiasco
0: okay so that's the one so i only played that once but uh but yeah that was it was it's interesting not,
1: it's not really a role-playing game is it, <laughs> it no, is, uh, no i mean yeah it's, it's something that it uh, incorporates role-playing game elements but it's meant to be for something else first of all it's mostly a party game right but it's also yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah
0: that's how i'd see it more yeah it's kind of so it's a little bit it, of a it doesn't storytelling
1: quite the, the yeah it's more of a storytelling game than it is a role-playing game but
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh and and i guess like from like a storytelling perspective like the the friends the group that we did like it uh, worked well for it and just like all the it's the game that i know of where i'm like oh i'm rolling a bunch of d6 though so that's why it reminded me but and so in a different aspect like rather than it being an rpg it was a fun storytelling game <laughs> yeah uh, okay so to get into uh, you you've had to deal with the the wokeness and the sjw's in in the you know uh, rpg community and all that like what's i guess <laughs> have they they've been trying to cancel you in different ways or like what's been your like specific well, um, experience
1: i mean like i said when you asked for my kind of story in the history of of gaming um, i've been you fighting like- with a lot of these people since before anybody you know had right. ever heard of the term SJW, right? I've been like fighting these, 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 these same pretentious, um, controlling, um, pseudo-progressives for uh, from like two thousand six, you know. Yeah, onwards.
0: that's. Amazing! I mean, it's like surprising in a not surprising way that, like, yeah, like it, it was existing this long, but I, I, I was slow to like really notice how bad it was until you know, like, twenty sixteen.
1: Yeah. Well, the role playing game hobby has had elements of that going on since since the mid two thousands, because um, you know, even though the main arguments that they were making back then were were about like these game theory ideas and story gaming they always also included kind of fashionable left-wing concepts in that and especially in like a lot of the forums that existed at that time you know this was before social media was really huge and so what you had were these internet forums where people would chat on these discussion lists you know about role-playing games Mm. Um, and in the biggest one at that time it, it was kind of taken over by this cabal of progressives who started banning people gradually more and more um, for having non-left-wing opinions, you know, and expressing them. So uh, this became increasingly a problem and really like this was a problem by 2006, 2007, because that was when I opened the RPG site, which is the site.com, which is uh, an internet forum still exists today for discussing rpgs that was based on free speech and the reason i did that was because the number one forum at that time had been completely subverted and was was banning people who were making posts that were you know um in any way critical of leftist ideas. So the, the, it was something that even existed on the political level from as early as 2006, 2007. But they really ramped it up around 2014, which coincided with when 5th Edition came out. You know, mm. And the first really huge... I mean, there was a couple of smaller incidents before that with a few games that were like these really controversial games that everybody agreed what had some element of controversy that progressive leftists tried very hard to, to ban, right? Um, and then you also had some incidences of people publishing blogs on RPGs and stuff that were talking about how, you know, the hobby is full of toxic misogyny, you know, and then you know, there was a large, there was already a lot of this kind of feminism in RPG stuff that, that was the popular thing at the time, uh, nowadays, ironically, you never hear about feminism exactly in RPGs because it's all about you know uh, race and gender instead of feminism mm-hmm. because you know they they can't even define woman anymore So know, right? yeah. okay, how are they going to talk about the treatment of women in RPGs um, but you know the the consultant gate was really one of the big moments because they mm-hmm. they essentially were trying to have me canceled right me and, and zach and mike right. burles for that matter they wanted to cancel all of us um and then after from that time onwards because right around that same time there were some other people you know james Raggi, who i mentioned earlier wrote lamentations of the flame princess he's a very pro free speech and he he likes making game products that are you know, really edgy, right. He like Grindhouse is his style. Right. And so he's made some games that are, that are, you know, uh, really, really, um, meant to be as, as offensive as possible, you know? but mostly not political. It's mostly like gross shit. Right. But, but in any case, uh, people have tried canceling him, you know, and, um, uh, there are other people, James Desboroughs, who, uh, wrote, um he he wrote a um, gamergate card game and uh, but he but he also mostly writes RPG products. I think I hope I'm not misremembering this about James but I'm pretty sure that was it. and they c- uh, successfully got that banned from Through RPG, which is the main RPG um, independent publishing venue right like where mm-hmm. where people can can where where small press RPG products are put up for sale, and uh, it's the, the the main marketplace for for that outside of Amazon. You know, a very important part of any of any RPG publisher's works. Um, Zach Smith was later involved in some controversy because of um, accusations of of um, sexual harassment, um, and I'm not going to say whether. Those accusations were accurate or not. Um, we don't know, but uh, they, you know, people have been trying to 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 cancel him since fifth edition came out, probably since before that. Um, again, mostly because he was this edgy guy on the internet, right? and uh, right. and and basically, after those allegations came out that that was it. He got a lifetime ban at drive through RPG from any of his products. And people who had published him, including James Raggy, were, were like trying to be forced to publicly disavow him, you know. And and you've seen many, many of these sorts of incidents that have happened from like 2014 until today. You know, also people being harassed in in you know um, direct means, you know, doxing, harassed mm-hmm. in their workplace, trying to get, get them fired, things like that. Um, famously Jeremy Hambly from the quartering, he was physically assaulted at, at uh, just outside, uh, Gen Con, the, the largest right. RPG gaming convention. Right. Um, oh, and Gen Con's response to that was to ban Jeremy Hambly from Gen Con. If, when did that, happen? that happened a couple of years ago. It okay. was uh, 2000. 19, 18? I don't remember which of the two. Oh, I might have Uh, been there. (laughs) 19, yeah. So Jeremy was out there having dinner, you know, uh, at one of the restaurants right next to where the convention was. Mm. And this guy named, uh, calls himself Matt Fantastic, who's a rampant SJW, walks up, asks him, oh, are you the quartering? And and, uh, Jeremy says, yes. And then the guy just starts wailing on Jeremy. Jeremy never throws a punch. He tries to back away. Uh, Some people get between them. The guy is shouting, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to fucking kill you. Right. Um, and they have to like force him out of the bar. Uh, Jeremy had physical damage, right? Like bruises and stuff. And then when this was all brought up with Gen Con, Gen Con said, Oh, well, but Jeremy Hambley is a is a hate speech carasser, and so we're gonna ban him for life from Gen Con, you know, uh-huh. which is that's the problem. And Wizards of the Coast itself, of course, has been taken over by this entryism that we see all over corporate politics of these people getting into these positions of middle management and of control of the public image and of media relations where um, they're all trained in SJW tactics, right? They've all been yes. indoctrinated in the, uh, in the leftist progressive uh, model of deconstructionism. And are determined to actually take over to, to basically wreck the things they're taking over. It's intentional. It's not. It's not that they're accidentally doing this. That's the goal. The goal is to destabilize Western right. culture. Right.
0: They want so, to destroy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they're there and you see this in the latest products. Right. Like um, the fifth edition basic rules are are really good, and that's managed to keep the game relatively mm-hmm. popular. But there are you know I've. I've been told that the last several books, which have each become like progressive, because Mike Merles was kind of holding the fort bear for a long time. He was still the boss. And as long as he was the top guy at Wizards, um, there was like limits to what these people could do. But then he got ousted. And now for the last few months, we've been seeing basically everything after Candlekeep Mysteries onwards. Is stuff that has that is after Mike Merles, and you can see that every every book that has come out from there onwards has been progressively more leftist, more openly about promoting these uh, SJW ideas, and about distancing itself from the tr- the kind of the traditional elements of Dungeons and Dragons. Right, mm-hmm. so uh, these products. Are still selling relatively well, but less than they had been before, and and we're seeing especially the last couple of books had good initial sales, but then um, they they're not doing as well after the you know the initial sales. So people are like buying them and then not recommending them to other people, you know. Uh, so you're going to I think be seeing a further downturn that will be happening with oh, yeah. future products because they're going to just keep trying to make it more and more woke. And less and less about actually gaming.
0: Are, are they doing a sixth? Are they planning on coming out with a sixth one, a sixth edition? Well, that's or? that's
1: a very interesting question. They've, they've what they've said is that in 2024, which will be the uh, 40th uh, 40th no the 50th anniversary. Oh,
0: oh wow. Of, uh, <laughs> Is it 2020? 74? Yeah, I think so. The 50th okay. anniversary
1: of, of Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. Um, they're going to come out with a revised edition of of D&D, but they they've, they haven't said it's like a new edition. Oh, So they, okay. what they've claimed is that it'll be like really close to what D&D is now, right? And I think mm-hmm. that what that means is they've realized that these rules are very popular. They don't want to, to try to change them because that could you know, and they don't really care that much about the rules because they they never play it anyways, right? But Uh, but they they, they don't see any point in changing the the rules themselves. What they're going to do is they're going to rework everything around the rules, right? So uh, they've already said some of the things that they're going to do, right? Like, for example, there won't be alignment anymore because the idea that something can be good or evil is hate speech, Uh.
2: right?
1: They're going to probably add huge sections on gender, right? There aren't going to be races anymore. It's just <laughs> ancestries, right? And and every ancestry has to be completely open, right? Like it doesn't they're they're all just gonna be blob, gray, gray blob people, basically, because there's nothing specific about being an elf or a dwarf or an orc that that you can't have with anybody else, right? Like the mm-hmm. idea that 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 you know orcs are strong or dwarves are tough or elves are fast or good yeah. at magic and others are bad at magic. That's all racism because to them, orcs are black people. Right. Right. This right is, yeah. This is, how, this is how unbelievably racist <laughs> these people are. They're, like, they're, like, they're like, no going to change was. all of that. Right. They're going to, yeah. they're going to make everything around the rules be altered. They're going to probably change a bunch of the spell descriptions. They're going to probably add some stuff in um, that'll have, more elements of wokeism. Maybe they're going to try to figure out a way to change the reward system of D and D from being, you know, to be like, um, in some way more penalizing of doing combat or something like that. And more rewarding of doing, you know, um, stuff that is theatrical or something along those lines, because that's, that's what they, they think D and D should be is a bunch of people you know, having, List. having exciting talks in the, in the coffee shop, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I wish that was an exaggeration, but literally no. the, source, the, 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 the adventure module for the Strixhaven book is where you're an employee at a, at a barista at a coffee shop, you know, mm-hmm. like that's literally a, an official DD product, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> that's what they want DD to D to become. Right? Um, yeah. And I think that's the way that they're going to change it. They're going to, they're, they're going to kind of keep the basic rules, but they're just going to, mangle everything around it into this this hipster woke garbage
0: yeah and it just seems uh, it's unnecessary to throw it in cuz like you said too like one thing i forgot to say earlier was with fifth edition one thing that helped me with with starting a DM was seeing or like figuring out how to DM was the in the in the player's handbook where it talks about how like these rules and everything. It's, you know, there's suggestions and, and like the, it's, you know, the DM has final say on the world that you're building and creating. And um, and then my boyfriend had to keep reminding me of that, too, though, because it was just like, well, how do I do this thing or how like what am I supposed to do here? And it's just like it's your game. Um, so then you can you can. You know change it to how like you you want to do it so rather than having to like structure more rules to to say like this is how you have to play like no races no whatever i'm like well like you can do that in your own game on an individual campaign of like you want to let your characters try to be a little bit different for an elf or whatever like okay like that's but that's just between you you and your dm um yeah. and I think uh, one thing that maybe I, I know the last time I t- had talked about it, like people got upset with me um, was that like, I uh, alignment, like I'm fine with players. My, my thing though, for, and I'm, and I understand like the, the lore for all of the d- other different like creatures and stuff too. But with my own campaign, I kind of like, threw those out and had because it's my own world my own setting so for me like coming from like the individualism i thought like well any creature that has an intelligence enough to like be able to choose like right and wrong and stuff like they i didn't want them to like you're born inherently of one alignment or another so i just kind of let them like oh there there can be good goblins there can be bad you know high, high elves or whatever um but uh, but I know people really hold on to like the the lore I'm like that's totally fine too like you do you like in, in your campaign it's just like I I just didn't want to use the same history that that uh, that they had in in my own.
1: Can I can I comment on that? Yeah. Uh, before yeah. I do, uh, hello to Adela I didn't didn't realize it you had him on here, but, uh, cool. Oh nice yeah. Oh, see no. Yeah. Hi John. Is he an, he an administrator. Okay. All right.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. I get got a stream on his channel lately.
1: Excellent. <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, what you're saying depends on the type of world that you want to make, right? Yeah. Because, um, if what you're creating is a setting that is meant to be in some ways, um, emulative of a uh, contemporaneous world or that it is um, something that is meant to be the kind of um, picaresque sort of style of of being a, uh, like what we would nowadays call gonzo or the kind of Oh my God! So random style of gaming, right? If you're trying to do, for example, I don't know, Adventure Time, the role-playing game, which is perfectly a legitimate thing to do, right? Like you could totally do that. Then it, it makes yeah. sense to not really have alignments, right? Um, yeah. If you're going into that kind of modernist and postmodernist perspective. Now, if what you want is for your D and D game to emulate myth and legend, then that's different. Mm-hmm. Then, then you need to have structure of alignment because, because what you're doing, you're playing in a world that is allegorical, right? That an orc is not a black person, right? An orc is a living embodiment of sin, of the corruption of sin. That's what the orc in Tolkien was meant to be, right? Tolkien's, Tolkien took the basic Western European pagan um, heroic legend, right? The, the basic Western European myth and reinvented it with a Catholic uh, framework. That's what he did when he created Lord of the Rings, right? And so the orcs there become a representation of the embodiment of sin. Just like in Dragonlance, for example, which is a book that uh, that they've now announced they're going to come out with the new Dragonlance sourcebook in 5th edition, and they're going to completely mangle it because of things like this, because they, they now say you can't have alignment anymore. Dragonlance has to have alignment, because Dragonlance is similarly... That pagan Western European myth story reinvented through a Mormon lens, you know, and so oh, like, oh, I didn't know that. To, yeah, because like, the people that wrote it, uh, Tracy Hickman and, and and I believe Margaret Wace at the time were Mormons, right? And and it's uh ah. it's basically the Joseph Smith story in a fantasy epic fantasy version. You know? <laughs> wow. It's very funny when you think about that, but it's true. And so, like, what you you need to have that the fact that creatures are embodiments of evil. Also, if you're playing in a historic um, mythical context, right? So in Lion and Dragon, for example, you could only play a human as a player character, mm. right? Everything else, everything non-human is this weird alien thing. And they're all kind of meant to represent different moral values and concepts because that's what medieval people thought monsters and creatures and even normal animals were, right? Like medieval people, you look at medieval texts where they talk about like rocks and trees and birds and all of those are like, they, God created this creature to represent forgiveness or this other creature to represent sloth right like they the that's the medieval mindset if you want to play in the medieval world you've got to have that same mindset where, where yeah. non-human creatures are are messages from god about you know moral lessons um and and it's similar like in in other mythological contexts right like in, in indian myth the morality is going to be a little bit different, not very different because all human morality is the same fundamentally. Most human societies are based on a, on a, on a largely common moral framework that has been evolving over time, but that is, that is grounded in the same common human experience. Um, And so some of the monsters are going to be a little bit different. Some of the things they're meant to represent are a little bit different, but again, you have to have a, 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 a moral structure. You have to have the alignment. What defines an alignment might be slightly different, but you have to have alignments, right? Where you don't have to have alignments is when you're playing in a system, in a setting that either because of when it is set, right? like if you're playing in the modern 20th century in a role-playing game where you're playing the 21st century, where you're playing in a 21st century game, you might not need to have alignment there, right? Um, or if you're playing in a fantasy world, but that basically has 20th and 21st century values, then you don't need to have alignment because modernism is where that concept that you're talking about of individualism, where it first emerged and where there suddenly you see, you know, what Nietzsche calls the death of God, right? That suddenly this, this enchanted world where everything is meant to be symbolic disappears, right? And it's kind of sad that it did, but um, that's, that's, that's one of the key differences of how you're playing your game. So when you're when you're designing, when you're going to start to DM a new campaign, you got to think about um, what is this campaign meant to be? What is it meant to to represent in the world? How does this world work? And then you have to make decisions about stuff like alignment based on the answers to those questions. Right? There are some games where you must have alignment. There are some games where you shouldn't. The real problem with fifth edition now, and with the people running fifth edition now, is precisely that they want that they don't believe in doing that. They want. They think that every setting has to be essentially a shipping of 21st century Seattle, right? 21st mm, century yeah. Yeah. Up, uh, upper middle class leftist progressive Seattle values. It doesn't matter if you're in the medieval world, if you're in you know Dark Sun, if you're in in uh, in in Dragonlance or Greyhawk. You know, uh, Waterdeep has to be like Seattle. Right and um, dragon and uh, sorry, uh, Ravenloft has to be like Seattle, right? So even in even in Ravenloft, good and evil can't be pure and evil, and you also will have you know um, dark lords that that you know are not necessarily bad, and and of course you also have pride parades happening through the streets <laughs> of Bologna, you know, um, all of this sort of nonsense, right? And, and what it does is it just it, it basically tries to force people that you can only that the only thing you can do with role-playing games is have them as a modern as a postmodern allegory which is a vehicle for political propaganda that's that's what what they're doing and why it's such a problem
0: yeah I, I really like that all of that because I'm just kind of explaining more of like oh the reasons why like it makes sense to have the alignments and things. And, and you're right though too. Cause I'm like, Oh, when I co- was constructing my own world, I'm just not like hey, this, figuring it out. And it was easier. Like, Hey, I'm just going to go with like, here's where my, my perspective on a lot of stuff. So I'm going to make this world. So it is like 21st century ideas in a, and it's, I kind of picture it. it's like not in the past. It's kind of like, Oh, if, if uh, I don't, or I guess I don't know, like maybe not in medieval times. So it's like, it's kind of in that, but in like a sort of present day, if like technology and stuff didn't happen and it was more magic based. So, like I said, like there is like indoor plumbing because there's, but it's used with magic, (laughs) like the wizards are
1: (laughs) to do something where it's just like. It's kind of a modern world, but, but. Uh, grounded on magical principles
0: yeah exactly so and that's why like oh but it's old enough where it's like trains didn't exist yet but like now they do like so you're kind of in like a sort of industrial-ish so it's just kind of like a mesh of different things and and again coming from like the improv it, it was kind of like yeah i'm just gonna kind of let some of the world's the, what they say and, and let it build up and because um, mo- my biggest thing is just like are we having fun like we're we're people who used For to sit sure. at a table but like now we play remotely after after the coup and then then we moved out of the city so like we just play online now but like it used to be like hey we're sitting at a table is everyone having fun like if I want to play into like how they want to do it and um, and then again, also coming from the liking anime, that's like, well, and you're even the adventure time kind of thing, too. Like, oh, I'd play that RPG.
1: <laughs> well, I mean <laughs> Adventure Time was a major inspiration, along with you know, Rick and Morty and stuff like that for my last Sunsetting, setting, you know, which is another oh, book, really? The Last Sun that I've got. Um, yeah, I mean, it was that, and you know, like it was just that whole style. And so like. Yeah, I'm not saying, oh, every game has to be an epic representation of myth with a moral story, right? I'm saying you have to think about what you're making and then no, appropriate. Yeah. So yeah. in the last sun setting, for example, we don't really, you know, alignment is very, very fluid, right? And we have like a different alignment axis. You know, like in D&D, you have good, neutral, evil and lawful, neutral, chaotic, right? Mm-hmm. So you could be lawful, good or chaotic, evil or chaotic, neutral or whatever, right? In the last sun setting, um, you have law, neutrality, and chaos, which are like big things, right, that are very important in the setting. Then the other three alignments uh, are actually um, Boy Scout, Freak, and Asshole, right? So um, Bill the Elf is a chaotic asshole. Right? Somebody else might be a neutral freak, right? <laughs> and uh, and this has become like just something we've done in the campaign because it's, it's actually a better... Uh, grouping of types of people in this in this really weird setting, right, where almost everybody is either kind of this um, boy scout type person or this freak type of person or an asshole, you know. And then you know, within the confines of whether they're they're doing it lawfully, neutrally, or chaotically, so uh, you know, you could you can play around with those sorts of things. You just have to think about what it is that what what the consequences of that are for the world or vice versa. You look at the world first and then you work out what would be the right way to present these uh, ephemeral concepts.
0: Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I don't know. So I I just, I really like you, you kind of explaining like, so that makes me feel better too. We're we're just like, it depends on like, are you playing into the whole myth thing? Like, is that setting? Is that world? And like, oh, am I doing it wrong if I'm, if I'm not doing all that, but like, oh, it's just like, I have a different, different vision of like how the setting is especially that's why I'm like I'm just gonna make my own. Um oh also thank you Silverlock for the super chat um for a good show thank you um okay let's see oh I have oh quick question have you heard of SRPG as in like the strategy or tactical RPG? I think i have actually um there's a yeah. a guy on youtube i've seen a few of his videos and he's how i learned it his name is harvester of eyes i think um it's a small channel but he so he kind of talks about that uh but and i'm still kind of confused about it so i just didn't know if you if you i think it's something about like where you're like combining like tactical like strategy games with RPG, so it's somehow like meshed together and i'm still not super clear because i think it's uh it's like a sort of video game genre but i don't know if it's also like tabletop <laughs> but but if if you're interested in that you can check him out harvester buys but i just didn't know if like if that was something
1: along your your lines well i'm kind of a, a bit strange in that that i don't actually play any video games you know <laughs> like, ah okay i, mean, I, play, I don't think I it's have that strange. A- I have a Domino's app on my phone, and that's, like, literally the only game. You know? So, like, that's, that's kind of it. Um, played Candy Crush on my last phone, and that was, like, <laughs> that's the only thing. I don't play any video games. I, I play RPGs. Now, RPGs, the history of RPGs is that they're descended from war games, right? Like, there were these mm. miniature war games that people played in the 60s and the 70s that at first were like, well, we're recreating the Battle of Gettysburg with, you know, little miniatures and using these complex rules to simulate these battles, right? And then eventually people start getting more creative with them and they started, you know, around the time that Lord of the Rings got really popular in the late 60s, some people said, well, what about if we have like battles of fantasy creatures, right? And they started doing that sort of thing. Um, and then the original Dungeons and Dragons, it came out of a group of people that had been playing these tactical combat war games with fantasy armies and started like making more complex campaigns of these, these war games where they were, they were set in a specific world and had like Kings fighting each other and stuff and stories about like great heroes and, you know, generals and things like that. And so suddenly you started having hero characters in these war games and they made special rules for like specific, heroes that could be in a battle, you know, which was reflective of fantasy literature. And out of that, they started designing this idea of a game where instead of fighting in big, large-scale war battles, you could have just, like, heroes going on adventures, and the dungeon became the format instead of the battlefield. And that's where Dungeons & Dragons came out of. So um, all of this, when video games started to become more sophisticated, like, beyond the Pong and Pac-Man level you ended up having um, video games steal enormous amounts of, of, of stuff, both in terms of like rule design and concepts um, from both wargaming, traditional wargaming and role-playing games, right? Like, I mean, a lot of the RPGs today are, are you know, uh, computer RPGs today, I mean, are uh, directly derived from Dungeons & Dragons, and a lot of the battle RPGs today or battle computer games today are d- directly derived from some of the tactical tabletop war games that were played in the 70s and 80s. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's someone that's now like trying to like turn this around and do it the other way. You know, like I know that there yeah. are some people in, in, in the gaming world that have been like incorporating, like they've been going back to chainmail. Chainmail was the set of war game rules. That Gary Gygax invented, and Dungeons and Dragons emerged out of chainmail, right? But chainmail was not a role-playing game; it was a a, a set of rules for running miniature combat in like fantasy battles, right? Mm. Um, so I know that there are there are people now that are like going back and incorporating the chainmail rules in their fantasy campaign. So they'll be like playing, you're playing D and D. But you have like high-level D and D, your characters have armies and stuff like that, and then you play the battles with those armies using chainmail and and that sort of thing, you know, or using other combat games. So, uh, you know, there, I, I I I don't know if that's what you were referring to, but that's that's the only thing I've heard about.
0: Oh no, and I'm not sure either because I still I keep forgetting. I'm like, oh, is it just in the video game, or is he like, yeah, is it trying to cross over somehow? And and but um. But yeah, so like I'm, I'm not super familiar myself.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, if it's video games. I'm the wrong person to ask.
0: ask. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, going back to when you were saying how like people aren't really buying books and or you know. with with all the woke stuff happening that's something that like i know that we stopped buying any uh, any of the books and that's why i was wondering like oh with sixth edition or like whatever like revisions that they're going to do like are they actually going to sell like or are people going to like when four when fourth edition came out people like stuck with 3.5 right and so that they so they didn't want so i and for me i was just like oh if if they come out with anything new after this they're like i'm just going to stay with 5e because that one it's already malleable so i can just like why if I want to add stuff like I can like I don't really need a new thing and changing it up and just because I'm set in my ways now like I already used to this so I wonder
1: I'm I'm hmm. curious what was the last fifth edition book that you actually bought
0: oh gosh I I don't even remember what's the I think we might have Ravnica is that
1: one yeah that is a book yeah
0: (laughs) Uh, that uh, i think that my, maybe that was the last one that we got i can't but i know it's been at least a couple of years since we've actually purchased anything um but I, and i forget which one it was um but yeah because we just i i i'll look at like the unearthed arcana or something like if they have certain updates on there and and when we do different uh when we, I have a what's it called? More purple, more better is where I get my my character sheets from. So then it kind of mm-hmm. like autofills stuff. So then I'm like, well, whatever it has on here, that's kind of what I'm using anyway. Oh, okay. um, but uh, or and and also too, like like you said about like just kind of when when we do our own thing, I let people like, oh, you want to. To make this spell more thematic to fit your character like we can change that like and, and so I we, I just I do a lot of homebrew and I, and especially now that they're like level 21 level 22 because we've just been going on for so anxiety. long <laughs> and so then I'm just like I don't know now I'm just gonna have I'm giving them like other superpowers and things and stuff I'm like well you guys are gods now so we're just gonna <laughs> like, all the monsters you fight are gonna also just be god level so we'll just keep going until <laughs> um but yeah yeah um,
1: high level play can be can be really interesting, but you've yeah. got to like it it can't really be mostly about the combat anymore right because at no. that point you, you don't yeah you know that that's just gotta be secondary because you're not going to be getting into that kind of epic fight every single session right, but and it the, takes forever too <laughs> so regarding, like, sorry re- regarding what you were saying about the the books um yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going to happen for sure. I mean, there are some signs nowadays that corporations are starting to kind of realize that they've been conned by the wokists, you know, mm-hmm. like Warner Brothers and Netflix. And, and uh, well, obviously Twitter is about to be bought out by, by Iron Man. So, you know, we've got to, there's hope yeah. there. Um, but... You know, so this all might change, but but I think that it's it's going to be very likely that even before 2024, um, Wizards is going to have to start having serious problems with sales of their products because I think less and less people are going to be attracted to the sort of games they're making. I think that might be part of why they've now announced that the next two products that they're that they're coming out with um, after this Radiant Citadel, which is about to come out now, which looks just totally. Mm-hmm. Total garbage, right? Um, but anyways, after that one, they're going to be doing Dragonlance and Spelljack, which are two classic second edition era, um, well, first edition and second uh, um, campaign books. Now, they're going to wreck them, right? They're going to sell them. Yes. Um, but, they're, but we know that the original creators of Spelljammer and Dragonlance were not consulted in any way on these books we know from the previews that they're going to be intentionally subversive of the setting, especially the Dragonlance book. Um, It's clearly set up to like subvert the, the moralistic elements of the Dragonlance story. Um, So, but, but people are going to buy it because it has Dragonlance on it. They're going to think they're going to get Dragonlance and what they're actually going to get is woke garbage. Right. Mm -hmm. So that might like, I think that they did this knowing that they need to push up the numbers to keep fooling the the executives at Hasbro that this is that what they're doing is popular, right? But it won't be because people won't be buying the new Dragonlance, but because it's woke. they're going to be buying it because it says Dragonlance, and right. they're basically being misdirected. The problem is after that that that's going to cause worse trouble because if people get feel cheated by these books. They're gonna be less likely to buy the next books. You know? So there's always the death spiral of the wokus. You know, mm-hmm. get woke, go broke, right? Right. Um, and I think there's a good chance that that the wokus might just all be purged from wizards before um, they get to like try, even try to make another edition of DD. But then what will happen after that? Who knows? What I what I what I do think is that. If they get to that point and, and do this, um, that will be a jumping-off point for anyone who's still like left that actually is a real gamer and not just you know uh, uh, somebody who tweets about their character but doesn't actually ever play RPGs. You know, um, and all the real gamers will will, will leave there, and the, and what they'll go to is the big question because last time, like you said, with fourth edition. When fourth edition came out, it was clearly awful, right? Uh, you had a whole bunch of people that went over to to um, Paizo produced this game called Pathfinder, which was based on third edition, right. made a few changes to it, and and so a whole bunch of people that were big fans of third edition went there. You also had a whole bunch of people that went to the OSR. That th- when fourth edition came out. That's when the OSR start, went from being this like obscure design movement to being to like booming and being the biggest indie RPG movement that exists now. So um, the OSR became very popular because 4e was garbage, right? And people started looking for other things, right? So they, so part of it helped, you know, this this large game producer Paizo, to make Pathfinder, and another part of it helped creating a lot of indie games. And there are of course, some people, as you say, that just said, well, screw it. I'm just, I still got my third edition books. I'm just going to keep playing third edition and not buy any new books, you know? Right. Um, so I think you, you'll see a similar thing will happen if Wizards keeps screwing up the current edition or jumps into a new, m- even more woke edition. You'll You'll probably get some n- semi-large gaming company that will try to produce something that is basically a clone of fifth edition and try to like swoop up the, the, the customers of the old fifth edition, because then you will get a lot of people there. And then you're also going to get indie games that will be promoted. Right. And I think one of the things that that has happened is that because of like the DMs guild, which is this, um, this, this, Project that Wizards had, where people can make third-party products for, for Fifth Edition, and you can publish them on on Drive RPG. Now Wizards takes like half of your money for doing this. Right? Like they take your own. They're, yeah. they're, it's a money-making scheme. So Friends, I'm like, I don't know why people fall for it, right? But if they like go, but there are some very successful books that have been that have come out on that on the DM's Guild, right? Like very successful third-party products. So I think that that if Fifth Edition. Go super woke, or if um, you know, if they come out with a sixth edition that's super woke, you might end up having a breakaway from the DMs Guild of people making third-party products in a similar way to how people are doing with the OSR with old-school D and D, that will be just creating their own fifth edition products that are that are like fifth edition in everything but name, right? Like they, they can they, because again, you can't copyright rules, right? So they'll make. Um, clones of fifth edition and might actually like become innovative in the process. Maybe they'll like finally end up using all those optional rules in the DM's guide for something, you know, that would be, that, that's my dream, but who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, we can only hope that maybe one day. Um, well, okay, Since so it's been nearly two hours. I have just a, my one or two more games that I want to do before we wrap up. Um, I have, what I like to do is a, a Cards Against Humanity thing where I just make you choose, you get your question. I don't know if you've ever played the game, but um, make you choose yeah. out of uh, options on here. And then some of it, I was like, when I found this, like, this is kind of related to RPG stuff. So uh, the question is, What will I bring back in time to convince people that I am a powerful wizard? And your options are, these are rather random, smallpox blankets, goblins, brown people, or the inevitable heat death of the universe so one more time it's uh what will i bring back in time to convince people that i'm a powerful wizard smallpox blankets goblins brown people or the inevitable heat death of the universe so what do you think is the best (laughs) answer double or nothing for your points
1: well i gotta think about this a bit here (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah, yeah, yeah this is a tough one um i am I have a technical question. how exactly am I bringing goblins back into the past?
0: ooh, well, you're a powerful wizard, right? so, <laughs> so
1: well, you're no, telling... I think the question is how do I convince people from the past that I'm a powerful wizard right
0: back in time well, I bring back in time to convince people I don't know i'm not I guess you can interpret this question are you you're bringing it back in time to convince those people or that you're going in time <laughs> Hmm, Or you're going forward in time, so it's up to you. If you're a wizard, though, I imagine that you'd be able to figure out how to get. If I
1: could could take goblins back, I guess I would take goblins back, if in some way. Yeah, like I mean, if they were laboratory-grown goblins, and I could go in a time machine and convince people I made them because I'm a wizard. Well, great, you know, like
0: that makes sense. I mean, yeah, yeah, and maybe you just actually are a powerful wizard and you'd were able to get goblins like you're just trying to but but your powers when you went went through time you've lost it so you're only able to bring in like one thing to show to prove that you are okay. All
1: right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> however however I, I will take your interpretation of this however you, you want but if <laughs> goblins is is your final answer that's right
2: that is my final answer
1: yeah <laughs>
0: ding 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 then you are correct sir and you get double your points i don't even remember where you're at i think they're at 16 points so you're you're up there on winning this this episode um the final one that i play is i don't even know which one to do on here uh it's called dirty minds and uh so i give you three hints to try and guess a word that is not dirty it's very appropriate the hints just sound like they're dirty um Okay. And and some of these are really bad, like they do not describe the word well. And so people have trouble actually answering it. Some of them you can get on the first guess. But uh, uh, <laughs> gosh, um, let me see. Oh, one of these, some of them are like too much. Um, okay, I, <laughs> this one might be easy enough. So it's going to be three hints. If you get on the first one, you get three points. If you get on the second, you get two points. And if you get on the third, you get one point. So you'll get to guess after each hint. Uh, So hint number one, when I'm hot, I rise.
1: Well, air.
0: Oh, that's a good answer, but that's not the one that we're looking for. So that was a good one. Uh, So hint number two, sometimes... Yeast is a problem.
1: Mm, bread.
0: Close. What's what's before? It's bread. It's bread. Yeah, like uh, before, dough. before. Dough. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's it. So you get. Uh, so you it? got it on the second try. The third. The last chant was your fists can make me flaccid. <laughs> So, cause you're having to need it. Um, but yes, dough is the correct answer. Uh, so, or I think you're at 18 points and uh, just for having such a great conversation, I'm going to double it again and give you 36 points. Um, you. So you win, <laughs> you win today's episode. It was a close, it was a close has race. Any,
1: has any guest ever lost their episode? I... Uh,
0: anyway uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> difficult questions to answer
0: <laughs> but uh thank you so much for joining me today can you tell people where i mean there's so much more obviously to talk to you about and i, I really like learning a lot That's more about you. the rpg com- community and everything but um can you tell everyone where where they can find you and i'll, and I'll yeah. put links in the description okay. later and all the stuff that you're like your merchandise and stuff that you're selling or working on now too so advertise yourself
1: yes. All right so first of all um you can find me on youtube the rpg pundit right casimir urbanski um the rpg pundit so that's where you can get my videos and uh i'm on twitter i'm also casimir urbanski on twitter um and uh you can find my 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 fighting with sjw's on both of those things (laughs) Uh, as far as my products you can get my products from a variety of publishers in a variety of places um, but, um, mainly drive-through RPG and Amazon. So if you're interested in role-playing games, you want role-playing games that are not meant to be woke, but are just, uh, you know, they're not political in any way, really. They're just meant to be like really, uh, Fun. interesting and innovative games that are for gamers and source books that are for gamers and stuff that is fully compatible with D&D, you know, that, that you can use in your games. Um, settings and adventures and all that stuff. So check out, you know, Lion and Dragon and Arrows of Indra, the Invisible College, um, Dark Albion, Cults of Chaos. <laughs> if, I, if I named them all, it would take a long time. But also, you know, my PDF series, RPG Bunded Presents. Um, my newest product that is coming out probably within the next month or so, or by like early June at the latest, it's going to be called Sword and Caravan. And it is a setting book. You could use it for any edition of D and or for any OSR game. Um, though it obviously goes really well with Lion and Dragon. Um, Sword and Caravan is set. It's for for role playing in a medieval authentic world set in the Third Crusade, mm. uh, Deus vault and <laughs> the and for role playing along the Silk Road in the in the in the Middle Ages. You know, um, so. If you're interested in in that kind of uh, adventuring, <laughs> you should keep an eye open. So yeah. you Probably become available sometime early in June.
0: Cool. Awesome. Early June. I need to make a note of that. But then drive-through RPG. Yeah. And we will... I put links in the chat now, but I'll put them all in the description later as well. Um
1: yes, and-, and I can send you... Some links to my my products on, yeah. on, Send me on
0: every, any link that you want, like I will put all of them as long as they're appropriate Excellent. in into the description. so you can advertise everything if you want.
1: Oh, thank so. you very much.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's been such a pleasure to have you on and just to get to to talk to someone who's like so enveloped in this too, because I haven't really had that yet. Like I've talked to more like comic book people lately because because of John Dero, so it's fun to get into like, oh, let no me idea. talk to more RPG people. Um, but, yeah, I hope to to talk to you again sometime. It was really awesome. Uh, and then, and uh, as a reminder to the audience, too, again, book club on this Sunday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Um, Carter and there are questions, too, for people who came in late. Carter, uh, the intern, is out sick today because he's he's a little baby and I guess he's bedridden or something. So I told him to take the day off. It's fine. Um. If anyone has any questions or anything, uh, you guys can message me as usual. But uh, thank you again, RPG Pundit. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. And uh, have a great weekend, everyone.
1: Thank you. Thanks for sticking around until the end. If you're new to Unsafe Space, check out our deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. And please consider helping to fund our work by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. We hope to see you there.
2: Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production may be upsetting to Brian's doctor. Please do not expose him to it. For completely legitimate reasons, Taylor Lawrence is requesting any information you may have about the following individuals. The Twitter subroutine appears to be malfunctioning. Pay no attention to it. Did you know that the word liberty is a dog whistle for insurrectionists? If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific.